Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Straussen. Thank you for listening. To understand the emotional needs and problems of anybody, we must understand the reality of their biology as much as the reality of the world in which they live. A recent paper was published about these challenges in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and we are pleased today to have two of the authors join us to talk about these very issues. Haifa Gattini and Yasser Dabao are both psychiatrists in Bahrain, and we speak to them today by telephone. Dr. Gattini is chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the Arabian Gulf University. Tell us a little bit about what mental health is like in Saudi Arabia. Sure. Psychotherapy is not treated in Saudi Arabia for a long while, like since the 80s. At that time, it was provided by mostly Western therapists. As time passed, we have more mental health professionals who were trained either in Saudi or outside. Psychiatry residency commenced in 1997. Prior to that, psychiatrists had to go abroad either to Europe or America to get their training. We have around maybe under 2,000 mental health professionals in total. According from the Ministry of Health, there are 936 psychiatrists in Saudi Arabia in different sectors, private and in government. And this includes all presidents and consultants. Many are probably our psychologists, nurses. Psychotherapy, as I said, it's been there for a long while. And now it's been practiced at the government, private hospitals, and at university hospitals. The notion of psychotherapy, particularly talk therapy, a lot of people are doing that sort of talk therapy without specification to what kind of psychotherapy, cognitive therapy versus interpersonal or other kinds of therapy. If we agree on the notion of psychotherapy like talking to the patient, providing support and help, the majority of health professionals, either psychologists or psychiatrists, are doing that. In practice, Saudi Arabia, only psychiatrists, psychologists can provide psychotherapy. I just wanted to clarify that in the United States, your terminology as the attending psychiatrist or an independently practicing psychiatrist, those are peers consultants. Between 900 to 1,000 psychiatry professionals in Saudi, only about 350 are in that category. The others are the equivalent of board eligible slightly supervised psychiatrists or residents in training. The number is likely to grow. Part of the issue with social workers providing psychotherapy is the kind of clinical training that they get. The vast majority of social workers in Saudi Arabia are bachelor's training with no additional supervised clinical training. How do people in your part of the world look at psychotherapy? In the United States and perhaps in other countries, there is the notion of it being somewhat stigmatized, and people may be hesitant to seek treatment because of that. But the other reason may be that it's just not so easily available, not cannot be afforded. How do people in Saudi Arabia look at mental health issues, and how do they go about getting it? And Just your thoughts on that. Specifically referring to stigma or for the worried well. Very fair question. Let's deal with the psychotherapy. Is it a cultural concern? Are people afraid or hesitant to ask for it? The reality of the matter is that Saudi Arabia has a population of 31 million people, and the numbers that we quoted you 
will absolutely not meet their needs for psychotherapy. As a matter of fact, they are seeking therapy and will often seek it where uncontrolled and non-evidence-based practices are being sold to them by non-professionals all the time. And they buy it because they need it. So on the one hand, they do have a strong need, just like any other population would. Definitely very significant stigma when it comes to mental illness in general and seeking help from mental health professionals in particular. That stigma may delay the process of seeking help, especially for individuals that are more severely ill and result in accessing care relatively late in the game. If the stigma did not exist, they still have a hard time finding the health care that they need because there's so few of us around. What role does the religious world have to say, the Islamic religious world have to say, insofar as getting mental health treatment or even acknowledging it? Is it a help? Is it a hindrance? How do you use it to help give someone some intervention? Please, your comments and thoughts on that. In regard to the religious world, it's huge. As we mentioned in our paper, it's indicated in the Quran, if you are mentally ill, you should seek treatment. I use it in my practice to reinforce the need for treatment and maybe minimize the stigma because when people come to see a psychiatrist that's been equated with being crazy or mad, it's just an illness like any other illness. As a Muslim, you should seek all kinds of treatments that are available and could be helpful. In Islam itself, they should seek treatment. Maybe it's too much. Maybe they're just going to go to a religious healer, which is easier or more affected by the person or his family and society at large. Because then it's the stigma will be it's like an illness or it's an evil eye or it's, there are different notions about how a person becomes ill rather than there's something wrong in your head or you're crazy. What role does the religious community, the religious world, play in the mental health attitudes and services? Does the religious community encourage people to go into psychiatric or psychological treatment should it be necessary? Can you give me more information about the specifics of the challenge that religion brings to the delivery of mental health services? Sure, I'm going to share with you my experience. So on many occasions, surveys for the patients and their families about what do they think is the reason for mental illness. Actually, to my surprise, interestingly, females were like more living in chemical imbalance to males. Despite strong or cultural belief of having an evil eye, it was not as huge. There were actually few people who are believing in that, and mostly they were in the psychotic domain. There was also an interesting explanation that it reflects a weak faith. If you're less true believer, then you'll end up having an illness. It's actually the contrary. If you are a true believer, then you'll get it more rather than having difficulties in your life. Another way how we can utilize our culture in modifying the difference about mental and stigma. I might add that the way mental illness is interpreted by the patients themselves is often different than the way it's interpreted by people around them. Family members will sometimes 
opt for explanations that will reduce their sense of shame or helplessness and will go for superficial explanations, whereas patients themselves are more likely to accept a medical model that explains the illness. You'll see both reactions, whether from patients or from family members. The notion that having weak faith is responsible for illness is a double whammy. Part of the stigma here that's very painful. Patients are suffering for from whatever they're suffering from, but on top of that, they're made to feel responsible for their suffering by accusing them not having strong enough faith. This is one of the unique aspects. Is there a movement to help people understand the realities? How are they educated? How do they learn about the realities of what mental illness? How do they learn about what the realities of what mental illness is and the types of treatments that are available and what works and so on? There is some public education taking place. There is some in the media. There are some prominent psychiatrists and psychologists that are attempting to educate people either through television, but I don't think it's adequate. And I think there could be a lot more, especially including basic notions of mental health in regular school, a grade school, I think would have an enormous effect on the, the level of stigma. Too much time here in the United States, people go, they see a doctor, they get medication, and that's it. Is that the same over, is that the same in Saudi Arabia? You are asking about pharmacology in relation to psychotherapy practice in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Okay. Here in the United States, and I'm assuming in many other parts of the world, the insurance companies prefer to pay for a psychiatrist to see a patient and treat them with medications and relatively minimal visits insofar as time is concerned. The the availability of the deeper, more time-consuming psychotherapy treatments, they're available, but the economic incentive to do these is much less, much more challenging. Do you have the same problems where you are? Yeah, we do, we do. I don't have, like, accurate percentage of how many people prefer pharmacology over psychotherapy. I have seen people who were referred to me to do for them therapy, and they said, no, we just want a medication to help us get back on track. And they have people who are on medication. They said, we don't want the medication. We just want to deal with our problems and learn solutions. I would say it's pretty much equal. You have both kinds, people who are interested in quick fix and medication and people who are really interested in learning, problem-solving, dealing with their difficulties in a different way. No one can argue over the importance of medication in certain conditions. You have to combine medication and psychotherapy. It all depends on the availability. It's not different from the rest of the world. The trend is for pharmacology much more than psychotherapy. And part of it is not really that people don't believe in psychotherapy. Part of it is the scarcity of people who are really well-trained in psychotherapy. In regard to insurance companies, we are pretty much the same. So when you write a really good report about the importance of psychotherapy in this particular case, they do provide the coverage. But overall, I don't think it's much different than the state when it comes to the preferences between pharmacology or psychotherapy. And sometimes it's just dictated by what available rather than what the patient prefers. I totally agree with you. Insurance remuneration remains until today sort of the, the minority 
situation because public services cover most mental health care in Saudi Arabia. That is likely to change in the years to come. We're not necessarily facing pressures from insurance companies. We're just facing the numerical pressure of the sheer number of need for care, which means that the luxury of spending an hour with each patient may not be available. One of the questions that comes up, and I hope I'm not speaking from the position of an uned, and I hope I'm not speaking from the position of an undereducated outsider, but what is the role of women? Is it changing? And the reason I ask is because many women do seek psychiatric care, and it's become somewhat of a much more normalized, without the stigma event. Is there a change? Was it ever an issue in the Arab countries regarding a woman's comfortable level of personally acknowledging that she needs some help? I'd love your thoughts on this. You're saying culture of Saudi Arabia has changed. You were referring to their female asking to be separated from their family. The perception that the female are oppressed in Saudi and they're asking, you know, for more rights. In a sense, it's embarrassing, but you made reference in the article as well that women are beginning to change. That captures a lot of our curiosity and we want to know why is the change occurring? Where is it coming? How effective is the change? Is it more a positive change or a disruptive change? Again, your thoughts. So I'm just going to talk to you about a female who yes. comes from a tribal origin. And maybe where I grew up, it was in, in a different province than where is my origin. So I come from a very conservative background, quite religious also. But at the same time, I'm just talking about my personal experience and also my experience with the people that I know around me. I've never felt that there's a difference between me and my siblings. You know, there are certain maybe rules that apply to boys. Boys are different than girls. And we do believe in that, by the way, that boys are different in girls. But it does not come to the way a family will treat her children with affection, providing equality to whatever you provide to your kids. It's pretty much the same. The only difference was in the privileges, for example, going out by yourself, driving your car, this kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe I grow up nagging about it, but I've learned that this is part of my culture and I do respect it. And I'm someone who traveled abroad all over the world and has seen different cultures. And I'm so proud of who I am and what culture I represent. Now, there are other cases that they are more strict than my conservative religious. They are much, much more strict when it comes to raising their children. And by children, I mean boys or girls. And maybe in these particular families, boys will have more privileges when it comes to girls. But overall, when it comes to education, whether it's very strict family or conservative or even liberal families, because we do have all kinds of, in our culture, all kinds of families, there aren't many much differences. And I don't want to sound that I'm very defensive about what I'm saying in our culture. I'm just representing the facts, actually.
There are girls who, in my practice over the past few years, there was only one occasion where there was like an adult female who went over some conflict with her family. And she wanted actually to have her own apartment and so on. And she ended up doing that, actually. In our culture, actually, there's, there are a lot of females who are the, the bread earner for their families. They provide for their families. It's not only the man like it used to be before. And this, I think, applies to many other cultures. Some families, both mom and dad are working. Some families, only mom is working. And some families, the mom stays home and the dad's going to be the provider. So... Compared to when my parents were children to my days now, there is a huge difference and there is more acceptance of women present everywhere. There is a sense of proudness about females being educated, fulfilling different positions in the country. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that, that we are really much more alike than not. More people need to hear that. I may, uh, I just wanted to say that Women have come a long way in, in our culture in the last few decades. I feel they, they still have some ways to go, but they are definitely on their way. What is not controversial, I think, and I hope Haifa agrees with me on this, is that the position of women is always something at the center of people's minds in, in that area. We're always obsessed about that specific issue. And I see that a lot in patients and therapy. It's a topic that we talk about a lot. What's the issue? Sorry, I missed hearing that. The status of women, their position, their status in society, in the family, is always center of people's attention because it's a constantly evolving sociological thing. And we kind of look at what the media portrays what tends to happen is that one small aspect of a really complex societal phenomenon, a lot of light is shone on it. The rest of it is kind of ignored. It's good for us to hear what's going on with you. Familiarity breeds so many good things, and that's what I want to bring to people that... Though we are different cultures, though we live many miles apart, there are so many similarities.